All right, well, good morning, everyone. I hope you're all wide awake and focused because I have some uh, pretty profound truth that I would love to share with you today. I'm going to attempt to speak on something I've actually never spoken on before and uh, put a great deal of thought into it, and I hope and trust that the Lord will bless this to us all. We're going to begin by reading in John chapter 13. So I'm going to make reference to quite a number of verses in in the Gospel of John, but we're going to start with uh, John chapter 13. Now before we read the scriptures, I'd like to just kind of bow and ask God's blessing on this message, so let's pray. Father, we thank you for these moments that we can spend in your holy presence and look at the profound truth of the word of God. I pray that our hearts would be stirred. I pray that the spirit of God would work and would speak to each and every one of us and meet us where we are. I pray that saints would be encouraged and feel secure and assured of the word of God in their very soul. And I pray that saints would be uh, built up and edified and that sinners would be convicted. And if there's any that are here that do not know the Lord, Father, we just pray that you would bring them to Christ for salvation today. And just ask your rich blessing upon the word of God as we speak it today, all for the glory and honor of your Son, the Lord Jesus, in his name, amen. Let's begin by reading in John chapter 13. And verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, here's the phrase that caught my attention having loved his own which were in the world. He loved them unto the end. What I really wanted to speak about today was the chronological events of sequence that led up to the cross. Because that's where I'm going in my study. But I came across this staggering truth, this mountain of doctrine that I wanted to deal with. And I will tell you right up front, I'm inadequate. I can't even get my own head around it. But I want to speak to you today about the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God and the free will of man and how it culminates in the salvation of the soul. Now, that's a deep, profound truth. Many things about this we will not be able to understand, but what I want to share with you today is what Jesus taught and what the scriptures speak about this truth. If we go to slide two, we're going to see that there are two parallel truths that run through the entire Bible. On one hand, the sovereignty of God. 
He is sovereign, and he makes choices. And on the other hand, the responsibility or the free will of mankind, and we make choices. There are many truths in the scripture that are mysterious, almost incomprehensible. None of them are in isolation. And like Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, or chapter 1 and verse 20, none of these profound truths are of any private interpretation. What that simply means is that you can't take one truth that's in the Bible and exclude all the other truths that are in the Bible that are related to it. And so when we look at the the doctrine of the sovereignty of God, it has to be balanced with the character of God, the free will of man, and our responsibility in the role that we play as we journey through life. And I would say that I believe clearly the free will of man and man's responsibility is taught in the Bible. We are all accountable but the sovereign, free, electing grace of God is also taught in the Bible. And I'm going to attempt to try to present both of these truths to you today, and I want to show you how they culminate in the salvation of a soul. So we are really speaking today about the theology of salvation, the doctrine of salvation. What actually happens when a soul comes to Christ. If you look at this slide, there's a very interesting image here, and I think for probably most of you, you've probably seen this before. And this is the way it is depicted. When we preach the gospel, we preach to whosoever will. It is an unlimited gospel, and it is preached to the entire world. And every man, woman, or child, has an opportunity to come to Christ. And on the outside of this door, there is a gospel call, whosoever will may come. It is to the whosoever. Now when a soul trusts Christ, and they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, they enter through the door of salvation, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. I am the door, he said. You get to the inside of this incredible new life and you look back and you see the words, wow, I was chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Amazing, profound truth. Both truths are in the Bible. They run like parallel lines. They're always balanced even though we can't comprehend him. How do I describe this? Isaiah described it in Isaiah 55. He said, As high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are my ways and my thoughts above your thoughts, saith the Lord. So what I present to you today is the truth of the Bible. I don't claim to understand it. I believe it with all my heart. Both truths are in the Bible. Here's a pretty important passage right here in John chapter 6, and we're going to look at this. 
This is a fundamental truth. No one can come to me, the Lord Jesus said, unless the Father draw him. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Both truths are in the Bible. And so you have the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. When we come to John chapter 13, it's a Thursday night, I believe. The Lord Jesus is about to be crucified within a few hours. His public ministry is finished. And he moves into private teaching with his own disciples. And that profound truth that you get from John 13 to John 17 is private family truth. It is truth that will form the foundation of the lives of these men and their Christian life that will keep them steadily focused on Christ through the remainder of their days. I want to speak first of all about the sovereignty of God and I'm going to read a number of verses and I'd like you to follow along. So when you come to John 13 and verse 1, we have a pretty incredible truth. And, and the Lord Jesus tells his own disciples, and by implication he tells you today, that they have been loved with an everlasting, eternal, secure love. Having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Now, I was amazed to find out that that word in the original, end, is the same word that Jesus used when he said, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. So what we get in this tremendous truth of the love of God is those that are in Christ are eternally loved and eternally secure. Eternal. Nothing can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. And he's giving them this reassurance. And so, when you look at John 13 and 1, you understand some amazing truth that even from before time began, before the foundation of the world, unto the end of the ages, you are loved by God. What a, what a vast expanse. Loved before time began and loved eternally unto the very end. Amazing truth. Secure and eternal love, the sovereignty of God. Let's turn over to John 15 and... Look at verse 16. Jesus says this. In verse 15, he says, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. And then he says this. This is, this is profound. You have not chosen me. What? I, I, I thought I chose Christ. I read this and I'm kind of baffled by this. I, I thought that I believed. I did. But that wasn't the beginning. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you 
And I have ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. And whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it unto you. In this verse, I get the sovereign electing grace of God. Amazing family truth. That God, in his infinite wisdom and amazing grace, has chosen me, has chosen you. If you are in Christ, you have been chosen by God. Marked out is really the thought. Your salvation and your eternal destiny was chosen by God for this purpose that you would bear fruit and that you would be conformed to the image of Christ and it originated in God's choice. How do we know that? Paul said in Ephesians 1 and verse 4, he said, you were chosen in him before the foundation of the world to be holy, blameless, and in love. You know what's so amazing? Is that God has selected every single one of us that have come to Christ. And we were chosen in God before the foundation of the world. This is amazing truth of God's sovereignty. Turn over to chapter 17. When we get to chapter 17, I believe that they have left the upper room. And they have gone out from the old city down past the pool of Siloam, out that gate, and walking down into the valley of Kidron, over to the Garden of Gethsemane. And as they're walking, Jesus is praying. These words spoke Jesus and lifted up his eyes unto heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him Power over all flesh. Think about this. He has power over all flesh that he should give eternal life unto as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, to know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Verse 5, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory that I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men thou gavest me out of the world. Catch this phrase. Thine they were, thou gavest them to me, and they have kept thy word. In this passage, we have a a profound thought that the one who is all-powerful, the omnipotent, He has given souls to Christ before the foundation of the world. The omnipotent giver has has reached out and given unto Christ those that will come to Christ, marked out, elected by the Father, given unto the Son, purchased by precious blood, and secure in Christ. (laughs) You know what's staggering about that? Is this all happened before you're ever born? Before the world began? 
before you were even thought of, before any of your ancestors were born. God looks down through the ages and he chose you in Christ to be forgiven, to be purchased, cleansed. And the amazing journey of your life that has brought you to this moment is God working through all your circumstances, bringing you to Christ. Amazing. You know, sometimes we sing that, that hymn. I don't know if you guys sing it. And, and it, it just kind of brings out some of that truth. Why was I made to hear his voice and answer while there's room? While millions made the wretched choice, they'd rather starve than come. What was it that, that made me desire God? That ever spoke into my soul and showed me my sin and brought me to Christ so that I could be washed, cleansed. I'll tell you what it is. It's the sovereignty of God. I can't explain it, but it is true. It is the sovereignty of God. And so in these passages, we have secure, eternal love of every person that is in Christ. We have sovereign, electing choice. As much as you think you maybe chose Christ, he chose you before the foundation of the world. And the omnipotent giver, the God of the ages, gave you to Christ Jesus before the world began. And that's why you came to know Christ. Turn over to John chapter 6. Again, here's some very profound truth in John chapter 6. In John chapter 6 and verse 44, Jesus said these words. No man can come to me. Yes. No man can come to me except the Father who sent me draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day. Those are... Those are powerful, profound words that describe the sovereignty of God. No one can come to me except the Father draw him. This was what I have called the impossible step. You cannot even make that step or come to the Father or come to the Son unless God is drawing you the sovereignty of God. Look at verse 37. All that the Father hath given me shall come to me. This is true. All that the Father gave him in ages past, before the foundation of the world, all these ones that were marked out and chosen by God, that he has purposes of grace toward, all that the Father hath given me shall come to me. This is a definite, absolute statement. All that the Father has given me shall come to me. And here's this authentic promise. And him that comes to me, I will never cast out. Never cast out. So stop and think about your own personal experience in life. Your testimony what brought you to Christ? What workings in your life 
God in his sovereign purpose arranged so you could hear the gospel. So you could be born in a family where the word of God is taught. So you could come to a Bible-believing church that teaches you clear doctrine from the Bible so that you could be illuminated with truth, convicted of your sin, brought to repentance, and in faith believe on the Lord Jesus Christ so that your soul could be saved. Look at your journey of life and think about the matchless grace of God following you every day of your life right till now. The Bible says no one can come to the Father, no one can come to the Son except the Father draw him. And then there's this authentic promise that everyone who comes will never, ever be cast out. Amazing, profound truth, the sovereignty of God. I want to speak to you about the free will of man. Let's go to John chapter 3. Let's read what Jesus said to Nicodemus in verse 16. Nicodemus is a man who is searching for truth. He is being drawn by the Father. He has conviction in his soul and many, many, many questions, just like a lot of people today. Jesus gave some amazing, profound words in verse 16. He said this, For God so loved the world, the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Here's where the free will of man comes in. The gospel goes out to the whosoever. It is announced on street corners, in churches, one-on-one communication, in track form, in literature, on websites. The gospel goes out to the entire world. And I want to tell you today that I believe with firm conviction in an unlimited gospel. The gospel is not just to the elect. The gospel is to the entire world. In this passage, Jesus made it very, very clear that God so loved the world, the entire world, that he gave his only begotten son, not just for a few select people. The Lord Jesus was given so that the world through him could be saved. That's what we get in chapter, in verse 17. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him could be saved. I want to say today that the gospel is an unlimited offer. It is without restriction. It is to whosoever will. That's you or me or him or her or anyone else. The gospel is to the whosoever. It is unlimited. God's desire is that the entire world might be saved. How do we know that? Well, 2 Peter chapter 3 makes it very clear that the Lord is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, 
But God's desire is that all would come to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. You know, John announced this to the world. That was really the purpose of his life. John the Baptist, that was the purpose of his life. He probably died at 30 years old. He was a man that had one purpose, sent by God to announce to the world that Jesus was God's lamb. And one day, at the pinnacle of his life, on the banks of the Jordan, he stood out and he announced to the world, as Jesus came up out of the water, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the elect? No! The sin of the world! Jesus is announced as the Lamb, God's lamb that takes away the sin of the world. What does this tell me? Provision has been made for all. There's not a person living, breathing on planet earth today that cannot be saved. Every single person who sees their need and comes as a sinner to Jesus and believes on his son is saved by the grace of God and will never perish. That's what the Bible teaches. The free will of man and man's accountability. Let's go a little bit further. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2, it says this. And he is the propitiation, the sin-atoning sacrifice, the satisfaction of God. He is the propitiation for our sins. And then it stops. No, it doesn't stop there. Keep reading. And not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. An unlimited gospel. It is for the entire world. God has been satisfied through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that an entire world of humanity, if they repented of their sin and came to Christ, could be saved by the grace of God. And we all have a responsibility in that. Let's go a little bit further. One of my favorite verses that I love to preach on the street is Acts 13 and 39. Be it known unto you that through this man is preached the forgiveness of sins, and by him all who believe are justified from all things by which they could not be justified by the law of Moses. Salvation is announced as an unlimited gospel through Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, bringing sinners to justification, and it is available for all who believe. Unlimited. Let's go a little bit further. 1 Timothy 2 and 5. There is one God, and there is one mediator. What are we saying here? There is no other salvation in any other person other than Jesus Christ. There is no other God. There is no other gospel. There is no other way that sinners could be made right with God. There's one God and one mediator, that one person between God and men, 
Jesus Christ, who bridged that gap and brought guilty sinners to a holy God and is able to cleanse them from their sins. How? One God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for the elect. No. A ransom for all. A-L-L. I love that little word, all. You know why? It includes me. It includes you. It includes the entire world. He gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Let's go a little bit further. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 8 and 9. But we see Jesus, who was made lower than angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. Catch this phrase. That he, by the grace of God, should taste death for the elect. No. For all men. He tasted death for all men. Every single person. Jesus Christ tasted death for all men. I love it. Let's go a little bit further. Romans chapter 5 and verse 18. For by the offense of one, judgment came upon all. Who sinners? All of us. The entire world. Every person that has ever lived. Judgment has come upon all men. And so by the righteousness of one, the free gift of God has come upon all men unto justification of life. So here's the good news of the gospel. It's unlimited. It's unrestricted. doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, how deep you have sunk into sin. You can be cleansed. You can be justified. You can be made right with God. And it is an unlimited gospel to the whosoever will may come. Let's read verse 36 because I think it's critical. John 3 and 36. This is one of the biggest verses that puts the responsibility and the accountability upon mankind. He that believes on the Son has everlasting life. He that believes not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. This is a universe vast of difference. And so every single person in the world today, everybody in this church today is in this verse. There are those who believe and have everlasting life and will never perish, loved by God, justified, secure in Christ, and destined for glory. Guaranteed, everyone who believes in Jesus Christ has that. 
And then there are those who do not believe in Jesus Christ. And it says, they shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on them. You know, I have called this I've called this the unfathomable consequence of belief or unbelief. No one can comprehend the incredible eternal consequences to live life, sin every day, and die in your sins and not knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior. I can't comprehend it. Neither can you. Because what this will mean is that if you live your life refusing to believe on Jesus Christ, rejecting him as your Savior, the almighty, holy, righteous wrath of God hovers over your head. And if you die in that condition, you're going out to a lost eternity and you will experience the wrath of God forever. The Bible calls it the second death. Eternal punishment is taught in the Bible. It's incomprehensible. And so the consequences of either believing on Jesus Christ and having eternal life or not believing on Jesus Christ and not seeing life but being separated from God forever those consequences are unfathomable. That's why it's critical, critical, essential that every person that hears the gospel takes this seriously, comes to Christ, repents of their sin, and believes in Jesus Christ. What does it mean to believe? I'd like to take a moment to define this because I think it's really, really important. Well, I looked it up. I looked at the Hebrew word. I looked at the Greek word. I looked at the English word. This is what I think it means to believe in the context of the Bible, believing on Jesus Christ. It means to accept God's word as truth, to trust with conviction that what God has said is true, that Jesus is the eternal God and the sovereign Lord, that Jesus is the only Savior of all mankind. And that Jesus is personally my substitute who bore my sins on the cross. And that he is the living one that rose again. He's my Lord and my Savior. How do we capture that in a verse? Romans 10 and 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. John 5 and 24. Verily I say unto you, he that hears my word and believes on him that sent me is passed from death unto life, will not come into condemnation, will never be judged for their sin, but they are passed from death unto life. That's what it means to believe in him. You know that there are two universal commands 
that God has given us. Both of them are actually in the New Testament. Two commands from God, universal. One, it's found in Acts 17 and 30. God now commands, not a suggestion, God commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day when he will judge the world in righteousness by that man that he has ordained and has given assurance unto all and that he raised him from the dead. First command is that all men repent. Here's the second command. It's found in 1 John 3 and 23. God has commanded that all believe on the name of his Son. If you read 1 John 3 and 23, it'll say that this is his commandment, that we believe on the name of the Son of God, on his Son. So God wants the entire world to repent of their sin and believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that when it comes to the free will of man, the ultimate responsibility lies with you and me as individuals. And there's a very interesting verse that Jesus quoted in John 5 and 40 to the Pharisees who did not believe in him. Here's what he said in John 5 and 40. You will not come to me that you might have life. He charged them with being unwilling to come to Christ that they might have life. Do you know that there are many people like that today? Many, many, many people that are unwilling to come to Christ that they might have life. And if you don't believe this, I invite you all to come out with Warren and I on Friday night. Stand there and announce the gospel. It's amazing how many people don't want to hear it. They're unwilling to believe this. They are in their sins. They are perishing. And we have salvation for them. And they're unwilling to believe. The Pharisees had God Almighty in their very presence, looking into their eyes, quoting Scripture. And he said to them, your, your whole life is about studying Scripture. Search the Scriptures. See for yourself. They speak of me. And he said to them, it's so sad. You will not come to me that you might have life. Human responsibility, I believe, lies far, squarely on the shoulders of all mankind. Now, I want to go through this quickly because I think this is really important. The sovereignty of God and man's will culminating in the salvation of the soul. So, how does this really happen? You know, like, when most of us get saved, we don't know any of this. We just, we know that we're sinners. We, we know that Jesus died for us, and we believe on him. And then we go through that door, and we find out, wow, there's a whole world of truth here. So let me explain to you the way I, I believe the sovereignty of God and the free will of man come together and culminate the highest point in the salvation of the soul. Well, first of all, the Holy Spirit convicts of sin. 
He does that. The Spirit is in the world to convict of sin. I'm going to make this statement. I believe this. You may challenge me. It's okay. I believe that the Spirit of God visits every soul in their life. And I believe that the Spirit of God convicts them of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. That's why God gave us a conscience. And so when we lie, something inside doesn't feel good. When we steal, we want to hide it because we're wondering who saw us. When we take God's name in vain, we realize there's something distasteful about that. Because God has give us, given us a conscience. And I believe that the Spirit of God, in, in different experiences that you may have in life, could be the death of a family member. It could be an illness. It could be the loss of a job, the breakdown of a marriage. There's things that happen in our lives that God uses to convict us of sin and of righteousness. We realize we're not right. We're not perfect. The Spirit of God moves upon every single person and convicts them of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. I believe that's the first thing that happens. And then the Spirit of God causes the mind to be illuminated with truth. That's why the Word of God is so important. Because it's truth. It's God's Word. That's why it's important to announce the gospel. That's why it's important to give out tracts. Because we are circulating the eternal, living, incorruptible seed of the Word of God. And through the seed of the Word of God, the Spirit of God illuminates the mind. And what happens next? The soul is brought to repentance. This is a work of God. I want to stop here for a moment and define repentance. What is repentance? It is a change of mind. It is an acknowledgement of sin. It is an absolute surrender to God. This is where the sinner stops in his tracks, turns from his sin, embraces truth, and it's a dark moment. Because in that dark moment, in reverential fear of God, there is an awakening of the soul to see my greatest need, I'm perishing. And that soul wants to have peace with God because they are convicted of their sin and they want to turn from that lifestyle and they want to turn to God. That's a work of God in the soul. Now this is where the will of man engages Okay, this is the culminating point. The Spirit of God moves. He convicts of sin. I'm broken. I'm repenting. And now I have a choice. Do I bury that and keep on going? Or do I stop and say, Lord, you're absolutely right. I'm guilty. Please save me. That's a critical moment in the soul's journey. Because if you are convicted of your sin, and if you are brought to a point where you have been faced with truth, and you deny it, and you turn away from it, and you reject it, and you suppress it, oh, be very careful. Because the Spirit of God may not strive with you again. And if you are faced with this truth, and you surrender to God, and you call out to God, and you say, give me this salvation, Lord, I want peace with you. I believe that the next thing that happens is that soul comes to Christ and the work of the cross is revealed. 
And all of this truth converges at the cross. And the sinner comes and believes that Jesus died for me and accepts the gift of salvation. And their sins are forgiven. And God declares that sinner who believes on Jesus righteous. And he is at peace with God. How do we get that? Not imputing their transgressions unto them, Romans 4 and 5, but God gives them a standing of righteousness in Christ. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What happens next? What happens next? Is the sinner, in an act of human will, places faith and belief on the Lord Jesus Christ, and the soul is saved. And then we have the assurance. You know, many times after you get saved, you wonder, am I really saved? Was that really true? Did I really believe? Did I believe hard enough? Did I really repent? And we go to God's word, and we are given the assurance. These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know without a doubt that you have eternal life. It's not about feelings. It's not about emotion. It's about fact. And the fact is Christ died for my sins. God is satisfied. I've believed on him, and God declares me righteous. I am justified by faith. I have peace with God. So here's my wrap-up. The scope of the gospel. The scope of the gospel is to the entire world. The call of the gospel is to whosoever will may come. The human responsibility of the gospel is to believe or perish. And the power of the gospel is those who do believe are justified and free from their sin. And the assurance of the gospel is that all that believe in him will never perish, but have everlasting life. And I don't know how all of this works together, but I don't know if you, you guys have heard of Robert Murray McShane. Robert Murray McShane lived in the 1800s. He was a man of God, and he led many souls to Christ and preached a powerful gospel. One day he wrote this hymn, and I just want to read it to you as we close I think it's, oh, you can't really see that. I think it's beautiful. And it really kind of captures the whole thought of the sovereign working of God in my life to bring me to Christ. Just look at the words of this and, and then we'll, we'll close. He says, I once was a stranger to grace and to God. I knew not my danger. I felt not my load. Though friends spoke in rapture of Christ on the tree, Jehovah said, can you, was nothing to me. I had to look this word up. You know what this word means, Jehovah said, can you? It means the Lord is my righteousness. And so the gospel presents a salvation by faith that gives you a righteous standing in God, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says that. Like tears from the daughters of Zion that roll, I wept when the waters went over my soul. Yet thought not that my sins had nailed to the tree. Jehovah said, can you, was nothing to me. Look at verse 3. When free grace awoke me, 
by light from on high, and legal fear shook me. I trembled to die. No refuge, no safety in self could I see. Jehovah said, can you? My Savior must be. My terrors all vanished before the sweet name. My guilty fears banished with boldness I came. To drink at the fountain, life-giving and free. Jehovah said, can you? Is all things to me. So to the soul who believes in Jesus Christ, they have a righteous standing that God has given them, and they are kept by the power of God, and they have eternal security, and they will never lose their salvation. And to those that are outside of Christ, there's a, a very, very striking, solemn, important call that you should come to Christ and believe on him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we can spend together in the word of God. We thank you for the great truth that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and that anyone, whoever believes in him, will never perish but have everlasting life. We thank you, Lord, for this church and pray your blessing upon each one, families and children, and those of us, Lord, that um, are raising children in a dark world. We just pray for wisdom and grace and pray, Lord, that all of our loved ones would come to know this truth and be saved by the grace of God and that we would be a light and a testimony in this dark world until traveling days are done and we hear the shout and we are with Christ forever. And so we thank you for all these things and just commit us to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.